You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Well, it's good to be back. Uh, It's good to have a week away, but uh, uh, I know Chris did a great job last week as he uh, brought the word. Continue to remember uh, the church in Red Deer, and uh, really excited about what God's doing there. Uh, Lord willing, they'll uh, soft launch, I think, on Easter weekend, and then maybe fully launch in September. I think that's the current plan, but continue to pray for them. Uh, the God would continue to add to the number there. I uh, want to give a special welcome to those joining us online. Again, we remember that uh, for whatever reason, there's folks who can't join us here, and so uh, we want to give a special welcome to you today, and I uh, just encourage you to let us know that you are with us so that we can be praying for you and um, uh, just uh, continue to keep in touch that way. Well, we are in part two of our series that we started two weeks ago, and uh, so I know everybody will remember everything from there, so we don't really need to review. Is that, yeah, probably not, right? Like, you can't remember what you, you did this morning, probably, and not, not, not two weeks ago. So let's, uh, let's just be reminded, as we went through uh, verses 1 through 10 of Romans chapter 6, we were reminded of a couple of things. We were reminded of our position in Christ, and we were reminded of our power in Christ. The, the fact that because of Christ dying and rising again, rising again, you and I have been united to Him. All this comes out of the the question, shall we sin that grace might abound, right? Paul has made a big deal in Romans chapter 5 that that you can't out-sin grace. And so the question then is, well, maybe we should just keep sinning that grace might abound. And so Paul says, well, here's your reality. Your reality is, is that you are died, your old self has died, and a new man has risen again through Christ. That old way of life is now dead. And because of that, you no longer are enslaved to sin's demands in your life, and you're free to truly live. This is our reality. And as Paul does over and over again in his letters, he sets out what they call in the Greek indicatives, this is your reality, and then he gives us the imperatives, this is now how you should live. And this is what we're going to see in verses 11 through 14 this morning, the way that we should now live as a result of who we are in Christ. I I love some of the old uh, authors, the way that they used to put things. J.C. Ryle is one of my uh, favorites. Uh, He was an Anglican pastor back in the 1800s, late 1800s. And as an eldership right now, we're going through a book called Holiness uh, by J.C. Ryle. And he had this to say about the fact that if we've been justified, we should also be sanctified, that there should be holiness in our life. He said, genuine genuine sanctification will show itself in a habitual endeavor to do Christ's will and to live by his practical precepts. He who supposes the word was spoken without the intention of promoting holiness and that a Christian need not to attend to his precepts in, in his daily life is really better, little better than a lunatic and at any rate is a grossly igni- ignorant person, right? If you think that you can continue to live as you did before Christ, he says you're a lunatic, right? In other words, you're a crazy person. 
because there is nothing that would say that in the scriptures. And not, if, if not a lunatic, then what? That you are seriously ignorant. In other words, you do not know the truth about your identity in Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul is helping us to understand. What is our identity and what, how should then we live as a result of that? Christ has died and risen again that you and I might have victory over sin. This is the nail that we're going to see hit over and over again in these four verses that we're going to be looking at this morning. Just as sin and death have no mastery over Christ, sin and death now have no mastery over the believer in Jesus Christ. To see no victory over sin in your life is not in line with your identity in Christ. If you are in Christ and you're not experiencing victory over sin, then that is caused by you either believing lies or by you loving sin. Part of the believing lies is the failure to remember who you are in Christ and your failure to see the deadliness of sin. Sometimes we treat sin like it was just like this little pet or whatever. It's, it's not a big deal. It's, 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 you know, we can manage it. The Bible tells us that's not the case, that sin is deadly. And so sometimes we forget how deadly sin is. We forget how desperate our situation is. I love this, uh, this quote from a, a Pogo comic strip from the 1950s. You guys remember that one, right? I, don't, I had never heard of it. But, but there's this, this, this uh, quote from it. It says, we have met the enemy and he is us. We have met the enemy and he is us. We, we forget that we still live in this flesh, that there's still this pull to sin even though we've been justified through Christ. The person who fails to have victory over sin in their lives has become complacent to the danger that we are in on a daily basis. Or, maybe even worse, we just love our sin more than we love God. The fact that Paul writes what he writes in these verses that we're going to be studying today warns us that sin can still have its way in our life if we do not live out our union in Christ. And so each one of us this morning need to be mindful of the fact that sin is still a danger to you and I. So where are you this morning? Are you a lunatic believing that you can continue to walk in Christ and at the same time walk in your sin and it's okay? Are you ignorant? You're not fully understanding who you are in Christ or are you walking in victory through Jesus Christ? I pray that by the time we're done here this morning, you can say, at the very least, I will walk in victory through Jesus Christ. Before we do uh, study the text this morning, let me pray for us one more time. God, we are so thankful for your word today. We're so thankful for our reality in Jesus Christ. And God, we would be quick to admit that sometimes, Lord, we do not live out our new identity in Christ. At times, Lord, we live as if we do not know God. At times, we believe the lies of temptation, and give in to sin. But God, we're praying, Lord, as we grow in our understanding of you, as we grow in our understanding of the gospel, God, that you would see us conformed more and more into the likeness of Christ. That, Lord, we would be quick 
to say no to sin and say yes to you because of what you've done through the cross. God, I'm so thankful that you know every heart here this morning. Lord, you know the sins that maybe we cling on to more than others. Lord, you know the struggles that we have. God, we are praying, Lord, that as we embrace our identity in you, that, Lord, we would see you have the victory through us each and every day. God, would you lead us? Would you guide us as we study your word together this morning? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so Romans 6, 11 through 14 is where we're going to be studying. Romans 6, 11 through 14. Let me read it for us, and then we'll get into it. So, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace." Victory over sin is inevitable, not only because of your position in Christ and your power in Christ, but also because of the reality of your practice in Christ. In other words, the way that you live out your life on a daily basis. If you are united in Christ and you're living out that unity, then you ought to have victory over sin. And we see that victory over sin through four different steps here. First, we see the need to refocus your gaze to the gospel. To refocus your gaze to the gospel. He says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This points us back to where we've been. So you also. In other words, just like I've just said, because you and I have died with Christ, when we came to faith in him, because of that and because he has given us new life, which entails a new heart, a new mind, a new spirit, because we have that, now we should also live accordingly. We should live, as we've just learned, as Christ lived. Romans 6.10, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. We no longer live a life for sin. We now live our lives for God. This is what he's saying. And so you must consider yourselves dead to sin. The question, or sorry, the, the word here, consider, it, it can mean to reckon, to regard, to look upon, to count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in or by reason of your union in Christ Jesus. Now hear that. This does not happen without you being united to Christ Jesus. There is no possible victory over sin apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why we, are, we believe that the way to salvation is very narrow. It is only through Christ. There is no other way to have victory over sin other than Jesus Christ. And you and I need to be daily reminding ourselves, this is a present imperative, which means habitually, continually, daily 
minute by minute, you and I need to be continually remembering our identity in Him, that we have died to sin and that we are now alive to Christ Jesus. Unfortunately, sometimes we have spiritual dementia. I did a little studying on dementia as I was studying this text. You know, with dementia, people will revert to their old life. In fact, if you came to this country and maybe you, you know, your Spanish was your original language and you came here and you developed the dementia, even though you were fluent in English, a lot of people would go back to their first language. I was thinking how much that can be like spiritual dementia, right? You're having victory in Christ, but then you forget who you are in Him and you go back to that old way of life. You go back to who you were before you came to faith in Him. What what Ryle was referring to is those who are ignorant. The only way to revert to a life ruled by sin is to forget who you are in Christ Jesus. It's the only way to go back to living a life that is habitually marked by sin is to forget who you are in Him. This is why Paul starts by saying you need to continually be reminding yourselves of the gospel. I think, and I mentioned this many times, I think one of the big mistakes I've seen in the Canadian church is that we kind of make gospel as like, well, that's the entrance into the church, and now we kind of leave that aside, and, and that's just for the unsaved people. No, the gospel is for us as believers every day. We need to continually be reminded that we are still sinners in need of a Savior. We need to continually be reminded that we need His grace desperately if we are to live the life that we are to live as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to remember who we are now as a result of what Christ Jesus has done. We've called this chapter Gospel Reality. This is not pretending, it's actually living in the way that we ought to live. Stop puts it like this. This reckoning is not make-believe. It is, it is not screwing up our faith to believe what we do not believe. We are not to pretend that our old nature has died when we know perfectly well it has not. Instead, we are to realize and remember that our former old self did die with Christ, thus putting an end to its career. We are to consider what in fact we are, namely dead to sin and alive to God, like Christ. Once we grasp this, that our old life has ended with the score settled, the debt paid, and the law satisfied, we shall want to have nothing more to do with it. We need to remember, we need to continually consider. I've used this analogy a few weeks ago, but it's, again, think about the the wedding ceremony. As you came in, you were two single people. You made vows to one another and you left united as one. And your life was changed forever as a result of that. You no longer lived as two single people. At least you should not be. Correct? Right? Like couples who have like separate bank accounts and separate lives, like that's not a marriage. Right? You are now one in Him. So two... This is what Paul did in Romans, uh, earlier in Romans chapter 6. He said, remember your baptism? Remember the fact that you were united with him? Now live accordingly. Live accordingly. If you have died with him, how could you go back to live 
in that world? How could you live to, in that lifestyle anymore? So this morning, the question is, am I living out my new reality in Jesus Christ? Maybe you're in a spot right now where you're having a little bit of spiritual dementia. And you're thinking that maybe that old life has something to offer. Remember what Christ has freed you from. That world of slavery and pain and misery. When we choose to sin, we choose to suffer. We need to remember that that life has nothing for us anymore. We have a new life now in Christ. Maybe this morning you're, you're finding it difficult to believe that you have truly died with Christ to sin. Maybe part of that is because, like, I'm still battling with sin. How is it that I died to it? Well, you have died to the power of sin over your life, but you have not died to the presence of sin. We are still in this world. You still are tempted, as we're going to be seeing as we look at the text. But now the power of sin has been broken. This is what Paul is helping us to understand through Christ. So this leads us to the next thing that we the next thing, the next key to walking and victory over sin on a daily basis. We need to rebel against the tyranny of sin. This is now possible because of your relationship to Jesus Christ. If we have died to, died to sin and now are alive to God, this should be the habit of our life. To not let sin therefore reign in your mortal body. To make you obey its passions. Once the mind is set, then it's time for action. We are commanded to no longer let sin reign in our lives as it once did. It had power over you. you, you before Christ, there was, you had no choice. It, it was your master. It was your Lord. But now that you are in Christ, we are to no longer let it reign in our mortal bodies. We are called to fight every day sins. We were, we're called to fight the desire that, that, would, that would want to rule over you. We have now have a new ruler as a result of our union with Christ. Before we came to faith, sin had its way in our lives. We were powerless to stand against it, but now in Christ we can. It's interesting that he says that not reign in your mortal body. Why say it like that? Well, first, the word for body is soma. It could just mean the physical body, but more times than not, it means your life in this present world, all that you are in this present world, your whole person. Let not your whole person be given over to sin. The battle not only includes what we do in our actions, but what we think what we say, our desires. It includes all of us. And we're called to not let sin rule over us. Our mortal, mortal body reminds us that even though Christ has de defeated both sin and death, there is still a battle to be fought before glory. Right? We've been justified before him. We've been declared righteous before Christ in our justification. But then we have this stage right now, right? Where we are still locked in these mortal bodies. We are not yet in glory. We've not received our new bodies in, in, in standing in the presence of God. That day is coming. But for now, we are in the mortal body. Moose says it like this. We have a body that still participates in the weakness, 
suffering, and disillusion of this age. Until we are fully redeemed, we will continue to be subject to the influences of this age, and the believer must not let these influences hold sway. Our mortal bodies, what else should that remind us of? This isn't forever. This battle with sin is not forever. It's daily. It's hour by hour. It's minute by minute. It's second by second. But it will not last forever. Someday soon, we're going to exchange these mortal bodies for that which is imperishable. And we will no longer be in the presence of sin. We will be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, and sin will have zero impact on your life anymore. Is that not something to get excited about? Like, when you think about all the things that we're going to get excited about for heaven, this has got to be near the top of the list, right? No longer being in the presence of sin, no longer having to battle day in and day out for the king, but being able to be in the presence of the king. 1 Corinthians 15, 53 says this, For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. This, this flesh, this body that we currently have, will someday be re- removed. It will be gone, and we will receive a body that is immortal. 2 Corinthians 5, 4, For while we are still in this tent, I love that analogy, tent, not home, Right? Nobody, nobody sees their tent as a home, right? Like that's, it's, it's temporary. It's, it's not a structure that's lasting for a long time. This is just a tent. We groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we'd be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. The life that we now have in Christ will have its culmination in eternal life with him. Will we receive bodies that will no longer be tempted by sin. He says that we are no longer to, uh, sorry, he says this, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. And then he says this, to make you obey its passions. We are no longer obligated to listen to sin's demands. Did you know that this morning? When temptation comes, you do not have to say yes anymore. That in Christ you can now say no We're commanded to not let it have its way in our lives, to make us us obey its passions any longer. We know, of course, that it is not possible, that this was not possible before coming to Christ. I like like the way Moo puts it. One may well as tell a drowning person simply to swim, swim to shore as tell a person who is under sin's mastery not to let sin reign. Right? Yeah, you're drowning. Hey, just swim to shore. Well, they're drowning for a reason. They can't, right? This is important for you and I to remember when we're, wa- we're working with unbelievers, right? When, when you are working with someone who is enslaved in their sin, why do you think that they should have a certain kind of morality? It's impossible for them to have any kind of real morality, to have any Christ-likeness without being united to Christ, Our goal as Christians is not to make people more moral. Our goal as Christians is to introduce them to the Lord Jesus Christ that they may be free from their sins. This is only through Christ. But those of us who are in Christ can now say no to temptation. 
1 Corinthians 10, 10, 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Each and every time that you are tempted, you can say no through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no sin that is unique to you. That's kind of a popular thing nowadays. Well, but my situation's a little different than your situation. So when I sin, it's excusable. It is not excusable. If you are in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the power through him to say no to the temptation. In every circumstance, at every time, you're able to through Christ. When you're tempted to envy or be jealous, when you're tempted to slander or lust, to hate, you have the power through Christ to say no to those temptations. Is it easy? It is not easy. Is sin Hard to say no to? Yes, it is. Again, I quote from J.C. Ryle. The life of a believer is a life of victory and not of failure. But the very struggles which go on within his bosom, the fight that he finds it needful to fight daily, the watchful jealousy which he is obliged to exercise over his inner man, the contest between the flesh and the spirit, the inward groanings which no, no, no knows, But he who has experienced them all, all testify to the same truth. All show the enormous power and vitality of sin. And then I love what he says here. Mighty indeed must that foe be, even when crucified, is still alive. And so the temptation is still real for you and I. There's a reason that Paul is saying, hey, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Why is he saying that? Because it could if you let it. If you forget who you are in Christ. If you just default to who you were before Christ. But in Christ, you can say no. Can you do it on your own? You definitely cannot do it on your own. You'd be like Peter. Hey, Jesus, I would go to prison, I would die with you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand for you. And like hours later, he's denied him three times. You can relate to him, right? How many times have you been desperate? You got down on your knees and said, Lord, I just, I need to have victory over this sin in my life. And guess what happens? As you, as you get low before him and as you submit to him, you start having victory, right? You're like, praise God. Things are going well. It's been a week. It's been two weeks. And then what happens? Look what I'm doing. And then, bam, right back down again, right? You're not doing anything. The only way that you and I can have victory is by staying united to Christ, by continually submitting to him and his power in your life. But as you do, you do have the power. Schreiner says this, without the gracious work of God as a priority, any attempt to carry out the imperative is doomed to abysmal failure or misguided self-worship. But as you walk in him, you can say no to the temptation. You can say no to the tyranny of sin in your life daily. Daily. 
It's important to remember. Sin does not take a day off, right? It's like, oh, good, it's Saturday. I don't have to battle today. No, every morning you have to wake up and be ready to battle only until the next life. And then you will battle no more. And I, right now, depending on how old you are, you're like, it still seems like a long time. But compared to eternity, it's nothing. Keep your eyes on him. The next key to walking in victory over sin on a daily basis is to replace your allegiance to sin with allegiance to God. I've tried to make these, these, these points really crystal clear. So you can go back to them like, hey, what are the four keys, again, to walking in victory over sin? Here's number three. Replace your allegiance to sin with allegiance to God. This is a pattern that Paul uses over and over again. Stop doing this and start doing this. Put off that and put on this. And so he begins by saying, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. He's getting even more specific, what it should look like on a daily basis. Do not present your members to sin. In understanding our bodies as a whole person, this would be expanded not only to what we do with our physical parts of the body, but would include all our natural capabilities. In other words, all that you are, do not use as instruments for unrighteousness. Some would quote, um, uh, interpret this as weapons for unrighteousness. So instruments or weapons, either way, it doesn't really much matter. It doesn't really change the meaning here. But, but don't allow sin to have its reign in your life. Don't use your life now to continue to be used for unrighteousness. It's taking a little bit of time to think about that. What, what would that look like? We understand that it's more than just the physical, but let's, let's think about the physical. If I'm to use my members as instruments of unrighteousness, using my eyes to envy, to lust, using my ears to gossip, to listen to lies, using my tongue to slander, to tear people down, using my hands to murder, to steal, using my feet to run headlong into temptation rather than fleeing from it, using my mind to, to consider the temptations and then give birth to it, using my heart to love anyone or anything other than Christ, using my talents to serve myself and the world. God calls us to constantly being on guard against using our abilities and our resources for these things using our resources in service to sin. Every day, we need to be on guard against these things. As you think about this last week, how did you do in using the, the body that God has given you for his glory and for his honor? Were you handing yourself over to sin? Were you serving sin or were you serving him? This is what the positive command is, but present yourselves to God. Do not no longer live for that old life. Now live for him. Present yourself to God. There's this, when we hear this presenting ourselves, we think of Romans 12:1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We should use our bodies for him to worship him each and every day. We should wake up in the morning and say, Lord, here I am. Use me. Use all that you have given me for your glory and for your honor. I am now yours through what Christ has done. I have died to self. I am now living for you. We should do this as those who have been freed from the power of sin, who have been brought from death to life. Again, remembering your identity in Him. We should be using our natural capabilities and all that we have as God's instruments for righteousness now. Instead of for sin and for unrighteousness, now we do it for righteousness. Since we are now alive to God through our union to Christ, our lives should be about serving Him every moment of every day. I'm talking with the guys a little bit yesterday. Just, you know, I, I think sometimes maybe we need to just pull the car over a little bit and talk about a theology of work. I think sometimes, if we're being honest, we, maybe we start our day out well, we have our devotions in the morning, and we leave our Bibles on the coffee table, and we live as if we never had that moment from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., if you have a 9 to 5 kind of work job, and then we kind of come back and, okay, now it's time to live for God again. But that's not the way it ought to be for a believer. We are now His, so you be a banker who brings glory and honor to Christ through everything that you're doing in your bank. You be an electrician that brings glory and honor to God through everything you do as an electrician, as a teacher, as a father, as a mother. Everything that we do is to bring glory and honor to his name. We have been freed to now do this through Jesus Christ. Thinking about what that might look like. Again, thinking about our parts of the body. May our eyes look with compassion on the needy and the lost. May our ears be attentive to the truth of God's word. May our tongues be used to proclaim truth, the gospel. May our hands be used for acts of compassion. May our feet run headlong into worship. May our mind dwell on the things of God. May our wills be submitted to his authority over our lives. May our hearts live out the two great commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. May our gifts and talents be used to see his kingdom come and his will be done on this earth on a daily basis. Note that there is no third position here. There is no neutral position. You are either using your body to, for works of evil and unrighteousness or you're using your body for works of righteousness and for the glory of God. There is no third area here. Again, as you think about even just this last week, how have you done in that regard? To do what Paul is saying here, it takes intentionality. It takes submitting to the Lord each and every day. It, it goes back to what he said in verse 11, a continual, habitual, considering who you are in Christ at every moment of every day. It takes effort and discipline. Reminded of what it says in 1 Corinthians 9, 
26 and 27. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. We know that we have the power through Christ, but you have to make that decision on a daily basis. And so there, there's the requirement of discipline in your life. What a tragic reminder we've had this last week of the consequences of a life lived contrary to what Paul is preaching here. To preach one thing and then go and live a different life. Many of us were shocked to learn that Rabbi Zacharias was not a man we thought he was. Just months ago, he was celebrated as one of the greatest apologists maybe this, this world has ever known. And now as we come to find out, it was preach one thing and live something very differently. It should be so sobering to you and I when we consider that. One of the best things that was said, there's one of the heads of the guy in Australia said, may we find grace to repent here on this earth before it's too late. Now I can Think about this struggle with sin that you and I all face. And it's ridiculous that we act like we don't. Let's just be honest. In the church, how many times do we act like we're all saints here? Nobody ever sins, right? We throw on our little mask for the hour at home. But, but then we go home. Why, what does that look like? We all struggle with sin. May we not be like Rabbi Zacharias who kept it secret, who threatened others if they would reveal it. May we bring our sin to the light that it may not have a hold on us. If you're struggling this morning, can I encourage you, tell a brother, tell a sister, get prayer, have victory through the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's given us the body to help us in that struggle with sin. Daily, may we present ourselves to the Lord God as instruments of righteousness and saying no, using our bodies for unrighteousness. The last key to walking in victory over sin on a daily basis is to rest in God's abundant grace. I love how he ends this section. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. He gives us one more reason why we should offer ourselves to God instead of to sin. He assumes the believer, he is, sorry, he assures the believer that sin will have no dominion over you. It's a promise. He's saying, listen, for sin will have no dominion over you. It is no longer Lord over your life. It is no longer master. When sin demands that you must obey it, you can say no there is no temptation that you cannot say no to. Stop believing the lie. Stop believing that, that maybe just a little sin in your life is okay. It is not okay. It will destroy you. Sin will no longer have dominion over us. Why? Because you're not under law anymore, you're under grace. You're no longer under Adam. You're not that old man anymore. You're now under Christ. You have now received his grace. And he who began the good work in you will complete it, Philippians 1.6. So in the same way that 
God saved you by declaring you righteous through Jesus Christ and that only through grace. That grace is there for you each and every day to strengthen you, to help you along the way. In saving us, God has welcomed us into his family. As those who have been saved by grace, we long to bring honor and worship to him. We've been given a new heart and a new mind. And along with that, we've been given new affections. It is part of the new covenant that we have now as a result of our union with Jesus Christ. In his grace, he has made us obedient to God. In his grace, he's made obedience to God now possible. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, he says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. And I will put and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of the flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God is for you. He desires to see you walking in victory in him. And so the same grace that saved you, that justified you, is the same grace that is saving you and the same grace that will save you. We are now under grace. Under the old law, you had to, what, it, what, it, what has Paul been telling us in, Rome, in, in the first six chapters of Romans? You had to walk perfectly. The law required that you walk in perfect obedience, and if not, you were condemned. And Romans 3 tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Under the law, it brought condemnation. The law only exposed our sin. It did not have any power to help us to walk in obedience. But now you're under grace, and you now can walk in obedience because of what Christ has done for you, because of your union with him. Stott says this, those who know themselves freed from condemnation are free to resist sin's usurped power over, sorry, usurped power with new strength and boldness. Paul began this section by asking, shall we sin that grace may abound? Well, what's the resounding answer? No, grace allows us to not sin. It commands us to not sin. Grace opposes sin. It discourages sin. William Tyndall says this, now go, now go to the reader. Remember that Christ made not this atonement that you should anger God again. Neither died he for your sins that you should still live in them. Neither cleansed he you that you should return as a swine unto thine own puddle again, but that you should be a new creature and live a new life under the will of God and not of the flesh. That's grace. That's grace. To live a new life in him. No longer enslaved in our sin. I love how Paul puts it in Titus 2, 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodly and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting 
for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. What incredible grace has been shown to you and I through Jesus Christ. A grace that justifies. A grace that trains us to say no to sin and to walk in obedience to him as we await for our blessed hope. A grace that saw Jesus' blood shed that we might be redeemed from all lawlessness. Freeing his people from slavery to sin and enabling them to be zealous for good works. When we understand the depths of the grace that have been given to us, we can't help but respond in love, in worship, in obedience. It is our heart's desire when we rest in God's abundant grace. We know that if we do fall short, He is there to pick us back up and promises to help us and be with us through it all. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Isn't that an awesome truth this morning? Let's be honest. Sometimes we live our Christian lives like, oh, I don't know, if I mess up just one more time, I don't know that God's still going to be with me. I don't know that maybe, maybe his, I, I've out-sinned his grace here. Listen, if you are a child of the Lord Jesus Christ, his love will be with you forever. He is always faithful to his children. His love is steadfast. He is full of mercy and grace. And every time you fall, he is there to pick you back up. You say, okay, try again. Walk in my grace. Live in my grace. When we don't live in this grace, we, we, it, it changes our walk. Richard Loveless says this, Christians who do not change, sorry, the main reason, reason Christians do not change is a failure to really grasp God's grace, grace. Christians who no longer are sure that God loves us and accepts them in Jesus, apart from their present spiritual achievements, are subconsciously radically insecure persons. Their insecurity shows itself in pride, a fierce defensive assertion of their own righteousness and defensive criticism of, other, of others. They cling desperately to legal, pharisaical righteousness, but envy, jealousy, and other branches of the tree of sin grow out of their fundamental insecurity. We are secure in Him. Grace does not say, hey, let's sin more. Grace says we can now walk in freedom. We can now say no to sin because of our union with Jesus Christ. This morning, be reminded of the God that you serve. He loves you. He is patient with you. His love is steadfast. His faithfulness is great. Rest in his abundant grace and strive for holiness out of a new heart of love and thankfulness to the one who has given us new life. Thinking about our sanctification, Jeremiah Barrow said this, from him, Christ, as from a fountain, sanctification flows into the souls of the saints. Their sanctification comes not so much from their struggling and endeavors and vows and resolutions as it comes flowing to them from their union with him. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Our sanctification comes through our union with him.
when sin comes knocking, remember to say, you are no longer the boss of me. You know, like the little kids say, right? You're not the boss of me, right? You need to say that to sin. You're not the boss of me. You are no longer Lord and master over my life. I now have a new Lord and master. His name is Jesus Christ. And I can now say yes to him because of his amazing grace towards me. This battle with sin, it's daily. There are no days off. But it's ba- this is a battle that will come to an end one day soon. Keep your eyes on him. Refocus your gaze to the gospel. Rebel against the tyranny of sin. Replace your allegiance to sin with allegiance to God. And rest in God's abundant grace. You've been reunited with Christ. And the victory is now yours. Let me pray. Lord God, we are so thankful that through you we now have the victory over sin. Lord, we are mindful of the fact that sometimes we live with spiritual dementia. Sometimes we live as if we have to say yes to sin. Sometimes We live as though we believe the lie that to choose to sin would be better for us than to choose to live for Christ. God, forgive us. Forgive us for living and believing in the lie. God, we pray that even this morning you would help us to examine our hearts. Is there sin in us that we need to repent of? there's some things in our life that we've been making excuses for, thinking that they're okay, that we can somehow live in sin and at the same time live for Christ. Lord, forgive us for being double-minded. Lord, help us to be fully devoted to you. Help us to truly live the life, Lord, that you have given to us through Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for more and more victories each and every day in our lives that we might look more and more like Jesus for your glory, for your honor, to see your kingdom come and for your will to be done through these bodies. God, we want to be fully used of you. We don't want to keep any part of our bodies, Lord, for sin and for unrighteousness. Lord, use all of us, Lord, for your glory. Lord, even now as we consider the great cost of our redemption. God, help us to examine ourselves. Lord, help us to believe once again that we do have victory over any and every sin through Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.